Welcome to Becoming a Sleep Consultant. I'm your host, Jane Havens, a certified sleep consultant and founder of both SnoozeFest by Jane Havens and Center for Pediatric Sleep Management. On this podcast, I'll be discussing the business side of sleep consulting. You'll have an insider's view on launching, growing, and even scaling a sleep consulting business. This is not a podcast about sleep training. This is a podcast about business building and entrepreneurship. Sarah Skiles is a certified pediatric sleep consultant, certified doula, advanced newborn care specialist, and mom of two amazing boys. Ever since she was a young girl, she knew taking care of babies and children was an important role in the world. She turned her childhood passion into her career and hasn't looked back. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I've been really excited to do this. Yeah. So before we get started, share your story. Tell us a little bit about you, you know, what you're up to personally and professionally. Okay. Well, I have been a certified doula since 2012. Um, I actually got started as a doula because I had a doula with my son's delivery in 2012. And I had just such a fantastic experience being taken care of and supported and feeling like there was always someone there to listen to me and my husband. And I started realizing that a lot of my friends did not have the same type of experience. So that's what led me to become a doula to help more families to have a better experience with their birth and postpartum. Now my postpartum experience was kind of the other way around with lack of support and all different kinds of um, challenges and difficulties with breastfeeding, um, sleep, of course, being the biggest one. And so that is part of what has led me to the sleep consulting part of what I do. So my business name is The Baby is Asleep, which I want to evoke that feeling where you have the kids in their beds at the end of the day and you just kind of relax down onto the couch and you're like, whew, you maybe get out your little piece of hidden chocolate or something and you just, the day is over and you're ready to start fresh the next day. So that's why I named my sleep consulting firm, The Baby is Asleep. I love that. I feel like at the end of the day, like you, you sit on the couch and you just like, look out and you're like, Oh, the baby's asleep. Right. Like you just, exactly. That, that's exactly what comes to mind. I love that. So yeah, exactly. I, I wanted to chat with you today about how we sleep consultants can and should handle the anti-sleep training messaging. That's so pervasive, especially on social media. Uh, the reason that I wanted to speak with you about this is because you actually wrote a really incredible blog post and I'm going to definitely link that in the show notes, but let's unpack that topic together. Uh, first of all, is it fair to say that you used to be that mom that bought into all of the sort of anti-sleep training messaging and, and what did motherhood feel like for you in those early months or early years with your, with your boys? Oh, definitely. I, I would say I was right there um, with all of that anti-sleep training messaging where, you know, I would see some posts on social media about, you know, sleep training is bad you know, allowing your child to cry is bad. And I would, I would say, yes, I'm, I'm vindicated. I'm doing things the right way. Like I'm, I'm a good mom. You know, I just didn't, I didn't understand that there's a whole spectrum um, in parenting where it's not just black and white. You can sleep train and, you know, not be a good mom, or you can, you know, get up a thousand times in the middle of the night and be a good mom. And that's just not the way that it is just not that black and white. Um, there are a thousand different ways to be a good mom. 
And um, I just, it took me a long time and a lot of really difficult experiences to get past that point where I could truly look at all different types of parenting philosophies without that judgment in my heart, where I know that we're all just trying to do the best for our children. And it's not just one way or the other. So yeah, and and it's not just the messaging, I think, isn't just that sleep training is bad. That's a nice way of saying what what's really said online, right? Um, I think what's (laughs) like, you were sort of being really polite there. But uh, a lot of what is said about sleep training is that it's not just bad, but it's traumatizing. It's abusive. It's right. These are like really, really harsh words that that frankly aren't really grounded in any sort of like merit or evidence. But but this is what parents are coming up against. This is what they're reading in the earliest days, weeks, months, years mm-hmm. of parenthood. And, and it affects us all deeply, I think I know it affected you deeply. So would you mind sharing your story about like how you sort of changed your mind around all of this? I know that you had sort of like one moment where you just sort of had to, you had to come to your senses for yourself, for your own mental and physical well being. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah. And it took a really long time. I think I I was about six months postpartum with my youngest where Um, I finally took myself to the doctor, you know, very reluctantly as a millennial, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to take yourself to the doctor or the therapist or anything like that, but you make yourself get up and go when things get bad, you know? So um, I was having all of these different challenges with my health, um, both physically and mentally just spiraling. And the doctor basically recommended that I sleep train because she said, your body cannot heal without sleep this is something that I think you need to do. And I left that appointment feeling angry with this doctor. Like, how dare she tell me to do that to my baby? Like, I'm not the type of mom who could do that to her baby. Um, And the whole way home, just thinking about, like you said, just like fantasizing about, you know, driving off a bridge or something like that. You know, my, my health was that poor. And yet I was still so unwilling to consider this most simple of solutions to my problem because of how pervasive that messaging was. Because of course, I'm a good mom. I don't abuse my son, right? Of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) It wasn't until he was 14 months that I eventually did sleep train, which was a totally painless. Even that that sort of wake up call with the doctor, even even when that doctor told you to sleep train and and you described driving home and having these sort of intrusive thoughts of just like yes. driving yourself off a bridge that that wasn't what ultimately led you to make a change to the way that your your little infant growing into a toddler slept no no i was i was very stubborn and it wasn't until um, having, I think, more experiences professionally with clients, just seeing like, hey, these these clients I'm working with, like they they do things totally different from me, and I see what a great mom that they are, and that how much they love their child, you know, just because, you know, I was a big proponent of breastfeeding, and like maybe they were, you know, formula feeding, and it was like, wow, what a, what a great mom, like, <laughs> you know, she's doing the best that she can for her child and loves her child so much, and her child is healthy, and it's like, hey, you know what, other moms can do things differently from me. And that's okay. That doesn't make anybody bad or wrong or or better than anybody else. But yeah, he was 14 months old before I finally 
just, I guess the breaking point was I felt like, number one, I couldn't go on any longer physically. And number two, I started realizing that I was resenting him, that every time he would cry, I didn't have any other tools in my toolbox except to offer the breast 20, every 20 minutes around the clock. I didn't have any other tools to offer. And when your son starts crying, you know, every 20 minutes making a noise and that's, you think that's the only solution, you start to resent your kid real fast. And that is a terrifying day because everything in your body is telling you like, oh, that, it's wrong to feel that way. It's wrong to, you know, want to drop off your kids. Like that's, that everything is telling you that that is wrong. And I couldn't feel like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I actually sort of had a similar experience with breastfeeding. I only lasted three weeks, but I was very resentful of my newborn baby because it just was such a negative experience for me. And I felt like, huh, like this is not working. I am not a happy mom, you know, and, and I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy motherhood. I couldn't enjoy being a parent. And, you know, so I totally identify with what you just described. Um, Did you have shame? Did you feel shame as you were working on this when you finally decided to sleep train your son or were you sort of just too tired to care at that point? I think for the most part, I was too tired to care. I was just like, whatever, whatever has to happen to change this situation is just going to happen. But I wasn't, I also wasn't posting on Facebook that I was doing it either. So there was still a part of me that knew you know, that I, there was a chance I could be judged and my nervous system was in no condition to be able to handle that. So um, I would say for the most part, no, that I was just too tired to care. But in the back of my mind, you know, there was a little bit, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this really okay? Like, is this going to be harmful for him at all? Of course, now I know the answer is no. But, you know, when you're going through it, those are just all the thoughts that go through your mind as a young mom. Yeah. And I just, I find it to be so devastating. And I know that that's a strong word, but I'm using it anyway. I find it to be so devastating that parents wait until they're at rock bottom to make a change to something that is just so reasonable to change, you know? Um, and and I, I would love for you to share your story of what that looked like when you finally did decide to make a change for your son's sleep. Cause I know, I know he took to it pretty well as most children do. Right. So it just, it sort of breaks my heart that parents wait until the absolute last moment when they are sort of dying slowly in their minds and in their hearts to, to make what is, I think a really reasonable change to the way that they sleep and, and just like, survive the day, right? So what did that, what did it look like for you to sleep train your son? Well, I discovered pretty quickly that he had probably wanted to sleep through the night all along. And I was kind of standing in his way and not allowing him to do that. I wasn't giving him opportunities to even try because at the first sign of any movement or noise, you know, I would jump in to rescue him from that. And I don't think that he wanted or needed to be rescued from that. So we did, um, you know, like our, our check in console um, type approach, which I think he, he cried for maybe 40 minutes on the first night and just about 10 minutes on the second night. And then from then on, he has slept through the night ever since. And he's seven years old now and a fantastic sleeper um, ever since then. And it was like, why, why did I wait so long? You know, we could have done this. Yeah. Over a year. (laughs) So many months ago. 
Um, and it just was such a painless process that has had such long lasting results. And that, that is something that I wish I could communicate to people is to not wait until you're putting your keys in the fridge um, or, you know, much something much more insidious, like in my case of having all of those intrusive thoughts. Um, yeah. That doesn't have to happen. Yeah. Why do you think there is such shame surrounding this topic? Um, definitely it has to do with the crying because um, parents are taught, you know, you, well, you want to respond to the baby when the baby's crying. And obviously this is the case with a newborn, you know, the newborn physically requires all of that, you know, love and comfort and frequent feedings and things like that. That is extremely important. But also, even from a very young age, we know that babies cry as a form of communication and not just because they're hungry or afraid or in pain or things like that. We know that that is just their only form of communication. But if you, if you don't know that, then you can easily feel scared or guilty or upset yourself and triggered by hearing your child cry. And I think that's one part of it. And I think another part of it is just from all of the messaging we see on social media, which largely stems from a couple of flawed studies on the effects of crying on children. And of course, we know that that does not translate to allowing a child to cry for a, a very short period of time in their warm, safe nursery, in their warm, safe crib while we're supervising them for a day or two. Um, but that's, I think, where a lot of it comes in, where we, we think about, oh, the child is going to be somehow harmed or their brain is somehow going to be damaged uh, by allowing them to cry. And that's just, it's just not the case. Yeah, of course not. I mean, I always think, I always think about um, all of the negative effects of severe and extreme sleep deprivation have to be uh, far more damaging than a child being upset for a period of 40 minutes once or twice in a very brief time frame, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I would venture to say that your little 14 month old was so, so tired, like so, so tired for 14 oh, months. Tired. He was so tired. I can't even imagine how tired he was, but I could like feel it in my bones listening to you talk about it. And, you know, for him to be um, expressing frustration, which is, I think, really probably what was going on when he was crying for those 40 minutes. Uh, he was expressing frustration as he realized that he was going to be falling asleep in a different way than what he was used to. And, and then some of that, you know, parents get really fixated on like how long their children cry for during sleep training. And one thing that I always like to talk about with families is that, you know, not all crying is panic and fear and scared, right? Some 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 crying is just like I wish I was asleep and I'm not yet, right? So right, exactly. for, for a baby that, you know, a 14-month-old that is crying for 40 minutes on the first night of sleep training, maybe 15 or 20 minutes of that is like intense, I'm pretty mad that you're not nursing me to sleep the way you normally do type of cry. And then the other 20 or 25 minutes is like him lying down trying like it's oh, yes, exactly. trying, but it's like trying to go to sleep. He's trying and he's being verbal and vocal about that because he doesn't have any other tools to, to communicate his frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. 
Yeah, I, I think it's really unfortunate that parents are so triggered by crying. And and one thing that I often try to point out to my clients is that like, there are so many other situations where our children cry, where we're not quite as triggered, right? Like maybe it pulls at our heartstrings because nobody likes to hear their child upset, right? So, you know, the first day you ever drop a baby off at daycare, or, you know, if, I don't know, they're hungry, and you're on the way home, and like, you still have 15 minutes to get home. And you can't feed them until you get home, like they're crying, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. you're talking to them, and you're saying you're okay, we're going to be home soon, right? Like, that's not, that's not trauma, that's not abandonment, that's not anything other than like the child just expressing their frustration, which, yeah. you know, as kids get older, they do it, it never stops. My five-year-old cries like a hundred <laughs> times a day, you know, um, it, it never stops. Actually, my nine-year-old doesn't cry that often anymore. So that's good. But like, it, it goes yeah. on for a really, really long time. Right. So I think we, as parents have to sort of get used to our children expressing their frustration or their disappointment and, and sitting with them and, and supporting them through that, I think is really super valuable. Definitely. So I always find it really interesting that those that will like never sleep train, and I say this in air quotes because it's podcast, uh, their children end up hiring me or no, not their children, their parents end up hiring me uh, when the kids are like three, four, five, even six years old. So we sleep train them then, right? Um, I know that you work with a lot of older children in in your business, do you have certain mantras that you use to help these families with older children to help them to understand that like, this isn't an experience that should be labeled as traumatic or, or that they're abandoning their children? How do you help to sort of coach these parents through something that is frankly, kind of like exponentially more difficult now that their children are so much older? Mm-hmm. I think one of the main things that I like to touch on is this is always something that we're doing for the child and with the child and not to the child. So I like for the whole family to get involved about learning the new, the new manners or the new household rules for sleeping so that the child doesn't feel singled out um, because of their behaviors of, you know, not sleeping in their own bed or not sleeping through the night or whatever their struggle is. So it's something the whole family is trying to get on board with so that the child is interested in getting on board as well. So it's always something that, okay, we're not doing anything to traumatize your child. We're not doing anything where your child is going to be, you know, crying for hours or anything like that. It's, this is a process of learning, learning a new skill, and we're, we're going to be supporting the child and learning that new skill. So it's always something we're doing for and with them and never to them. Yeah. And I think the other thing is just, um, and this is something that, that you've said before, I'm pretty sure that I, I heard this from you, but that um, there are times when the child cries out of frustration. And it's like, well, you know, if the child doesn't want to be buckled into the car seat, are you just going to, are you just going to drive down the road anyway, because you're not going to allow them to, you know, throw a fit or, or cry in frustration or anger. Um no, we're not going to allow that because it's for the, the best interest of the child. Yeah. Um, as the parents, we have to set, we have to tell the child what's good for them because they don't know. They would stay up all night playing. They would eat nothing but candy until their teeth fall out. It's our job to set firm boundaries and household rules for our children so that they are safe and they are healthy and they do feel secure in those boundaries with their parents. So I would say the, the boundaries thing is another thing that I always really like to go over um, with my older kiddos. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that sleep training is always about establishing a boundary, even even when you're working with younger, you know, infants, it's still establishing a boundary, like now it's time to sleep. Now it's time to be awake. This is where you sleep. This is where you don't sleep, right? I think it's always about boundaries, but it becomes so much more clear as the kids get older. And it's interesting when I work with, I don't know if you see this, but when I work with families that have older kids that aren't sleeping, it seems that there are boundary issues in general, a lot of the time, yes. right? Like if parents struggle to set a firm boundary around bedtime and sleeping, they also often struggle to set boundaries around other things, behavior, and just like all sorts of other stuff. It sort of spills into every aspect of their lives. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think um, breastfeeding is an example of that. Um, a lot of times families are like, well, you know, we still breastfeed, which we're okay with that, but we would like to maybe have set times that we do that instead of, you know, just whenever, wherever. Or, um, yeah, it could be behavioral issues. It could be um, issues around food um, and just in general um, adaptability issues. So transitioning to new, new things, new ideas, new places, getting in the car and having to go somewhere or having to leave a place. Um, those are definitely all boundary issues with toddlers and older children. And I do find that a lot of these families with the older kiddos, after we complete that sleep training process, that they are finding that they're using these tools of setting firm and consistent boundaries. And that spills over into different areas of their parenting besides just sleep. So it's really having good positive ripple effects on entire families for the long term, not just to get the child sleeping through the night. That, that may be their original goal, but eventually they come back and they're like, wow, I'm using these tools for a lot of different things besides just sleep, which I think is really great. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. So, so let's go back to like the original point of this podcast, which is like how to combat all the negativity around this topic. I'm sure that you come up against this in your personal life. I know that, you know, you surround yourself with friends that are like-minded, right? So if you were one of those moms that, that was sort of anti-sleep training for a long time, I would imagine that some of your friends feel the same. And I'm sure you see it. I see it. We all see it in our businesses, right? Um, how, do you, how do you come up with the words to have these conversations in a respectful way um, so that we can sort of change the dialogue or, or move the needle in the right direction towards people understanding that, that this is something that you do for your child and not to your child? Mm -hmm. I think the absolute bottom line here is that you have to so strongly believe in what you're doing and that it's a good thing and a positive thing that none of the anti-sleep training messaging can affect you. It's not going to affect you on a personal level. It's not going to make you doubt yourself or doubt what you're doing or doubt your ability to help families and to really serve families. I mean, there was that point in my life where I was really wavering, like, is this okay? Is it a good thing? Like, should I even market my business? Like, am I going to get haters? You know, that type of thing. But now actually seeing the results of what I have done for these families, getting these text messages every morning saying, you changed my life. My husband and I slept in the same bed for the first time in six months. Um, our child has thrown fits every day of his life and now is happy, cheerful, confident, respectful. Um, getting these type of messages every day just it reinforces to me, you know, what a positive and powerfully good thing that I'm able to do for these families. There is nothing 
that any of the you know haters could ever say or do that is going to shake my belief that this is a wonderful thing for families. And so that's kind of what colors any response that I might have. And I don't, I don't feel the need to argue or debate with anybody about it because I think the people who, you know, are attracted to what I have to offer, they're going to be attracted to me and to what I'm offering. And once you are not, maybe they'll just scroll on by. So I think that allows me to, you know, professionally respond if I feel the need, but I think that you just have to to so strongly believe in what you're doing and not be shaken by any, any nonsense that's out there. Yeah. I think that you're spot on. Um, And actually when I was, when I was coming up with the outline for this conversation, I didn't want to put my thoughts down in the outline for you to read. I wanted you to just respond and then I would add my own. And I'm really glad that you said that because that's not how I would have answered the question, but I think you're like really, really spot on. And I, I, I think that, that's true, that we have to, as professionals, truly, honestly believe that the work that we are doing is benefiting families, it's supporting families in a way that they wish to be supported. And, you know, the other thing, what I was thinking about when I was answering this question, you know, in my own mind, and I agree with you, I try not to engage, you know, with the haters, I don't need that negativity in my business. But when I do feel, um, sort of inclined to engage in these sorts of conversations is when I see moms being mean to other moms about the choices that they're making. So, you know, if someone just posts on Instagram that like sleep training is abusive, obviously I don't feel the need to respond to that, right? Like I'm not going to change their mind. That's a waste of a conversation. But mm-hmm. when when somebody is in a Facebook group and they're like, you know, my my seven month old is up every 35 minutes in the middle of the night, I can't see straight, my child isn't eating well or sleeping well, like, I'm so desperate for answers, can somebody please help me? And then somebody chimes in, like a sleep consultant, maybe chimes in and like offers some really valuable advice about how to make a meaningful change. And and then somebody else chimes in, like, Oh, there's always a sleep consultant chiming in to tell you to let your baby cry it out or whatever it is. And like, you know, letting your baby cry is X, Y, and Z. And, you know, th- then it becomes this like mommy war of like, should you sleep train or should you not sleep train? And I think it's worth saying out loud on this podcast episode for those that are like just chiming in for this and don't know what I talk about all the time that, you know, I define sleep training as just teaching your child to sleep independently, to fall asleep in a new way, right? So for a baby that's being nursed every 20 or 30 minutes, maybe you start by rocking them to sleep, right? Like it doesn't need to be extinction. It doesn't need to be the Ferber method. They're really sort of gradual ways of working on this. But regardless, very quickly, all the sort of mom shamers come out onto the scene and make this mom of the seven month old feel really bad about a question she just asked, like, that was like a really reasonable question, you know, and then all of a sudden, she had this glimmer of hope that like, Oh, I'm gonna go into this Facebook group and someone might be able to help me. And then there are all these people that are telling her to like stay in that place where she's so miserable and depressed, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what really gets to me. And that's what I, that's when I feel like I need to chime in, in defense of that mom that was just seeking out support and, and, and remind those that are sort of mom shaming and just being mean to other moms that, 
that it's super important that we all recognize that we're all just trying to do the best that we can as parents, right? Like before you decided to sleep train your baby, you firmly believed that what you were doing for him was the best thing for him. Like that's what he needed. And you were doing that for him come hell or high water and nothing was going to break you of, of doing what you thought he needed most, right? You were, you were being the best mom that you thought you could be. And then once you realized you needed to make a change, then you sleep trained him. And then you also in that moment felt like you were doing what was best for him and what was best for your family. And, and that was the right choice for your family at that mm-hmm. moment. Right. And like, yeah. Either, and, and both of those things can be true, right? Like two things can be true. And, you know, I always say to parents who don't want to sleep train, like, okay, no problem. Like, don't. Not, you know, <laughs> then don't. Like, I'm not the bed sharing police. I, I'm not here to make you sleep train your baby. But for parents who want to make a change to the way that their children sleep, um, the last thing they need is other parents making them feel like garbage about it. You yeah, know, like yeah. that, that's just where I can't keep my mouth shut. And, you know, my approach is always to just sort of come out in support of moms in general, and reminding the people that are not being nice that they're not being nice, you know, I call them out on that, like, hey, like, you're not being nice, this mom is seeking support, she's seeking a very specific type of support. And if you don't have that support to offer, then like, scroll on by, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think in addition to, it's like the mindset portion of it, like I mentioned, um, I know people want to have some tips for in practice, how to actually respond. And the first thing that I always think of is is defending a mom's right to make choices for herself and her baby. Um, Others do not have the right to horn in on those choices. Um, You know, they can give advice or suggestions if she asks for them, but ultimately it is her choice, you know, of how she wants to parent her child. And I don't think that others have the right to, you know, butt in on that and say, oh, you shouldn't do this or that. Um, and I, I don't have any trouble, you know, reminding somebody of that if need be. Um, and also reminding anybody who might be watching that just, you know, putting your child in the crib and shutting the door until the morning, that's not how we approach sleep training. That's not what this is about. There are many, many different ways of teaching a baby to fall asleep independently that do not involve just, you know, letting them be alone in their room the entire night with no parental intervention of any kind. Uh, there are many different ways, even some which may not even involve crying, especially for um, an older child, uh, may not even involve crying. And so I just like to remind people that there are many different ways to do this, many different options and methods. You know, it's not like what you may have seen on, you know, some opinion blog about sleep training, that um, there's many different ways. And ultimately, moms do have the right to choose one of those ways that best fits their family and others don't have the right to, to butt in on that and tell, tell them they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's enough. It's enough with the mom shaming and it's not just with sleep. It's with everything, you know, it's with yeah. breastfeeding. It's with what we feed our kids. It's when we start solids. It's, are we going to put them in preschool? You know, it's never ending. And um, I think that I think that we're all just trying to do what we feel is best for our kids and our family. And that's what it boils down to. And, you know, all, all evidence points to the fact that like sleep trained babies and non sleep trained babies all pretty much actually turn out the same as far as like, (laughs) right. Like this is a parenting choice and it's how to deal with a certain period of, 
of infancy or toddlerhood, but, but, you know, these sleep trained babies grow up to be good, smart, strong, happy adults. And the ones that weren't sleep trained turn out that way too. So yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I think this was a really important conversation to have and I, you and I could go on about this forever. Right. But, um, before we sign off, before we sign off, share with everybody how they can, um, find you, follow you on Instagram, your website, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. So my website is www.thebabyisasleep.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at the baby is asleep. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Becoming a Sleep Consultant podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean so much to me if you would rate, review, and subscribe. When you rate, review, and subscribe, this helps the podcast reach a greater audience. I am so grateful for your support. If you would like to learn more about how you can become a certified sleep consultant, head over to my Facebook group, Becoming a Sleep Consultant, or to my website, thecpsm.com. Thanks so much, and I hope you will tune in for the next episode.